0: Welcome to the Jesus Image podcast. Take your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 14. You guys are all freaked out that we're going to Leviticus. Don't don't be afraid. <laughs> One of our students, I don't know if she's here this morning. She was reading Leviticus for like it seemed like an entire semester. Are you here? I don't know. Every time I'd pass by her at school, what are you reading? Because she'd sit in the hallway, Leviticus. And she'd serve in the parking lot and she'd have her Bible open, which is beautiful, isn't it? And I'd say, are you reading Leviticus still? Two months ago, I'm in Leviticus. So, Leviticus chapter 14. Verse 1, Holy Spirit, we don't need to ask you to bless your word, for your word is blessed. Your word is spirit and life. Now pierce us and speak to us. Open our eyes and anoint this moment that we would receive the bread of life in Jesus' name. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing he shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed, listen carefully now, two living and clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop, I want you to underline that. Cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedarwood, and the scarlet, and the hyssop, and dip them and the living bird in the blood of say the blood, of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times, say seven, on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes shave off all his hair and wash himself in the water that he may be clean after that he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days but on the seventh day he shall shave all the hair off his head and his beard and his eyebrows the Lord is meticulous He is a mysterious God. Shall shave off his eyebrows, all his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes, wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. Say thank you, Lord. All right. Now many of you are probably going, What in the world did I just read? Okay. According to Jesus, what is Leviticus about? Say Jesus. All right. Specifically, Christ crucified and risen. We've talked about this many times. So that should eliminate a good portion of the intimidation here. Oh, no, I'm in Leviticus 14. I don't know what to do. Okay. What we do is we put on our Jesus glasses. All right. There's a fancy word for that. Uh, In theological circles, it's called a hermeneutic, or the way I am going to look at something. So let's just say here, and it doesn't need to stay this way, but let's just say here, the meaning of Leviticus 14 is a bit hazy. Uh, You can't see very well right now. It's a little blurry. What does all of this mean? Well, the way to clarify your vision is to first put on your Jesus glasses. And you need to do that every morning. Every time you open the scripture, say, Holy Spirit, Jesus said, the scriptures speak of me. I believe that to be true because Jesus is the Lord himself. Since that is true, help me see him as he longs to be seen. Amen? So, let's first look here at 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 uh, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, this shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. Number one, leprosy speaks of sin. In the New Testament, leprosy speaks of the sting and stain of sin. It is this outward disease that declares something. In fact, the leper himself had to declare this whenever he came around people. Which, could you imagine having to scream this? Unclean, unclean, unclean. Imagine how they felt about themselves. They had to be excluded from the Israeli community, and if they were around anybody who was clean, they had to scream unclean. All right? So when you read uh, Matthew chapter 8, And the healing of the leper, where the scripture says Jesus goes up the mountain in Matthew 5, right? Teaches Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which are the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. And the scripture says he comes down the mountain. So here we have a very hardworking Lord, a diligent Lord. There's nothing wrong with discipline. There's nothing wrong with working hard. There's nothing wrong with being dependable. You ready, Gen Z, for one? There's nothing wrong with faithfulness. There's nothing wrong with consistency. There's nothing wrong with being told where to go and when to be there by the Lord and by those in authority over us. This is part of being considered a faithful servant. So here's the Lord who chooses to walk up a mountain, not a hill but to go up a mountain and to teach three chapters of the greatest sermon ever uttered, many would say. Now, I love the whole Bible. But if I have to choose something, if if I want the Lord to use me to form Christ in people, I am going to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 very quickly. It's the Magna Carta, the constitution of the kingdom. Amen? It's who we are. And it's where many debates are settled. Should I do this or that? Well, uh, sometimes culture gets into our thinking or uh, maybe our own wisdom gets in and then you read something like this. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and speak all types of evil against you for my name's sake. These words are so heavenly and otherly that they align us instantly. If we come humbly. Does that make sense? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are, these are supernatural words. And then you also have to look at the setting. You have to look at the symbolism. Jesus goes up a mountain to teach and to release this new law. In a way, he's saying, I'm the heavenly Moses. Moses is not the fulfillment I'm not the type in shadow. Moses is the type in shadow. So now let me issue a new law. This is, in a sense, the heavenly Sinai. I am the divine law giver. Moses was just a servant. I'm about to establish something that's glorious and eternal. Which, by the way, does not nullify the power of what the Lord gave Moses because Jesus gave him that. Just want to make that clear. The Ten Commandments still matter because they came from the Lord. He actually wrote them with his finger. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that there. So, that being said, Jesus comes down that mountain after preaching. You try preaching three chapters. You'd be tired, especially if you climbed a mountain to, to even get to your pulpit. He comes back down the mountain, which is more demanding physically than going up one. Now, the last thing I feel like doing after preaching a sermon is going on a mountain climb. That's the last thing I'd want to do. I want to go to bed. So he comes down the mountain, and all of a sudden, he's met by a leper. Jesus had every right in the world to say, I'm too tired. I have nothing to give you. But something glorious happens in that passage. When he's met by the leper, the leper asks him a question. And I've preached this all over the world because people need to know, yes, God can heal. But where most are stuck is on God's heart to heal. Does the Lord care about the healing physically emotionally and spiritually for his people. Does he really care? I mean, you can find people who, who don't even believe that God is doing this today, but they believe he's able. So his ability is not the question typically in the church. The question is, God's got a lot going on. Does he care about me? And does he want to heal me? That's the question that usually is at stake. And so the leper asked the Lord this question. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper is convinced of his ability because he says, you can do it. The question was around his willingness. You, if you are willing, I know you can do it. And I don't want to turn the text for the sake of time, but this blows me away. The Lord Jesus Instantly says, I am willing. And if you read the text very slowly and carefully, he reaches out, the scripture says, and touches him and then prays, I am willing, be thou cleansed. Well, first he says, I'm willing, touches him and says, be thou cleansed. Why is that progression important? Because we see the Lord's desire, listen carefully now, to touch the untouchable and then pray for him in other words his hands beat his prayer to the punch he couldn't help but touch the leper think of that he did what nobody should do he touched the skin of the unclean. So when you read Leviticus 14 and you look down, look down at your Bible, verse two, this shall be the law of the leper for his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. I know of a high priest who the leper came to Yes, this speaks of physical healing, but it speaks of spiritual cleansing. It speaks of the cleansing of the soul as well. The Lord is in the cleansing business. The Lord cleanses the lepers still today. And prior to coming to Jesus, we all come as lepers. That's the first thing I want you to see there. Verse three, and the priest listen carefully, shall go out of the camp. Did Jesus die within the city gates of Jerusalem? No. Where did he die? Outside the camp. This is speaking of Jesus. You better give him praise. This is a masterful wisdom from the scriptures. The priest shall go outside the camp and the priest shall examine him. That's called conviction. Oh, some of you are. We didn't hand out melatonin at the door again, did we? Okay. (laughs) The priest shall examine him. That's what's going on when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to convict us. That's why, listen guys, listen carefully. That is why our standard must be so high regarding the purity of God in our own hearts personally and how we enter corporately to worship. Without the tangible glory of God, people don't feel his examining power. Without the clear preaching of the word, People don't understand that they are standing in the presence of a perfect God and they do not match up. See, the person being brought to the priest had a hunch that they had leprosy, but it was only until the priest declared their leprosy was it official. And the scripture says, the heart of men is deceitfully wicked. One of the the one I would say, one of the most consistent responses I bump into as we lead a school is this. And we have the best students in the world, and we've had an amazing year. But I'd say over the last five years, this has been the most consistent. When you really bring the scriptures to someone and say, "Hey, not judging you, but this is the scriptures. If they judge you, <laughs> that's on you." <laughs> if the shoe fits, like slot it on. But you know, I'm not going to hide behind that either. But if the scriptures say it. The scriptures win. No? This is just basic Christianity. The scriptures win. All right. Now, one of the most common responses I get is, well, I know my heart. And I go, oh, no, you don't. Let me turn to a chapter. I got a chapter and verse for you. (laughs) You alone know the hearts of men, O Lord. I don't, I don't know my heart unless, as David says, search me, know me. I meditate on you in my heart in the night season. Why would David even lay down in the dark and say, search me? Because he refused to search himself. He knew that his own searching would not bring him to God's opinion. That, that's a humble approach. Back in the day, you get in an argument with someone, they go, you don't know me. You don't know me. And th- now I'd say, and you don't know you either. <laughs> you alone know the hearts of men, O Lord. So the leper has to come to the priest to be examined. What I want to encourage you, This morning, to do is this: allow the scriptures and the presence of the Spirit to examine you. It's healthy. The priest has good intentions. He is the leper cleansing priest. He's the one who takes our uncleanliness his way and washes us and restores us and says, I am willing, be thou cleansed. And we leave rejoicing and washed, hopefully filled with hearts of repentance, and we can come into his presence without shame. It's wonderful. How many of you feel called to preach the gospel? All right, many of you. I want to give you a tip. Bring the leper to the priest. Don't bring them to your ministry. When we started, the Holy Spirit told me, Michael, if people walk in, this was in 2004, if people walk in knowing more about your ministry than Jesus, it's just proof you did not give the Holy Spirit the meeting. He knows how to do nothing but glorify Jesus. It's just what he does. It's like begging me to go play golf. I'm going to do it. You don't have to beg me long. It's the Holy Spirit's joy to glorify the Lord Jesus. It is what he does. Jesus said, he will testify of me. So that being said, when you're preaching, when you're leading someone to the Lord in the store, when you're praying for the sick, our teams are, I love how we serve elderly homes. and, And it just, because what is it about Western society that throws, people away and just forgets about them i'm not saying these places these places are wonderful that's why we're serving them but i'm talking about from a family perspective let's just go put them in this place and visit them once every three years that's not honor i said that's not honor that's one of the plights of the church is that we don't honor fathers and mothers because they're no longer sexy enough for the pulpit i'm sure rev thinks he's super handsome and he is. But really, this is an issue. Honor listen, we are a dishonorable generation on many fronts. In the old days in the scripture, gray hair was considered a crown of glory. Mine are coming. But really, think about this. How we how we construct our gatherings. Are they truly honorable? Are they really about Jesus? or are they just becoming a platform for us to communicate why our ministries are vital? That is not bringing the leper to the priest. A faithful servant is a massive... He's an anointed usher. It's what we do. We are ushers. Whether you're a musician or a preacher, all you're really doing is going, here's the lamb... Our teams, when they're out there, as I said earlier, serving in the elderly community, what are they doing? Pointing people to Jesus. If we're in the hospitals, what can we do in the natural but point people to Jesus? If you've ever buried someone or walked somebody through death, what are you doing with the family as a pastor or, or, or just a Christian? What are you doing with the person who's about to go face the Lord? Leading them to Jesus. Yes or no? What is good preaching? You're ushering people. You're bringing the leper to the priest. And if our teaching falls short of that, we've got a ways to go. Bring the leper to the priest so that the priest may examine the leper. Amen? The beautiful thing about this high priest is that he doesn't just announce your leprosy. He's in the cleansing business. He wants to liberate you. Say, thank you, Jesus. All right, let's keep reading. Oh, this is about to get good. Put your mouthpieces in if you brought them. You might punch your neighbor. <laughs> this is going to get good. Verse four, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed to living and clean birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. Two living and clean birds, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what I believe as I study the scriptures that these two birds symbolize. The death and burial, Number one, and the resurrection of Jesus. His suffering and his glorification. You gotta have both or there's no cleansing. See, people have their own version of Jesus. They have their own perspective of Jesus. They have their own uh, vision of Jesus. But when the scriptures determine that vision, you will find glory, listen carefully, in what the world rejects. Because John the Apostle connects glory to the suffering Messiah. In fact, Jesus says to the Father in John's Gospel, glorify me, and he's speaking of the cross. We, when we think of glory, we think of a shiny body. But to the Lord, glory looks like laying your life down. Can I take this out? Encourage me a little. To the Lord, glory looks like laying your life down. Do you know I've seen demons manifest at the sight of a cross? (laughs) At the very sight, I have seen demons screech and scream with fear at the sight of the cross. It's sad when demons can recognize glory more quickly than the church. Those two birds speak of the suffering Christ and the glorified Christ. All right? Now, let's look back down at our Bibles. Two clean birds, cedarwood. Say the cross. Oh, yeah. Scarlet speaks of the bloody Messiah or the suffering Christ. Well, what about hyssop? I've taught on this before. I believe hyssop speaks of faith. You say, why? Well, look at Psalm 51, verse 7. Remember, the Bible answers the Bible. Psalm 51, verse 7. I'm having a blast this morning. I love this stuff. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Now, do you think David was speaking when he says, wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow? Do you think he's speaking of his skin tone? Do you think he found a plant that made him less olive and more pasty? Like, did he find a plant that made him look less like me and more like cord? Do you think this was a skin issue that... The psalmist is writing about. And by the way, 80% of the psalms are written from David's tabernacle, which was a house of glory. So maybe, maybe David was being used to write spiritually. Imagine that, that the psalms are spiritual. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Ah, we see hyssop here. Bringing cleansing. Now... Can you think of another verse or another passage in the Old Testament that speaks of hyssop? Can you think of a chapter maybe? Huh? Yeah, Exodus, what chapter? 12, all right. How did Moses apply the blood? In verse 22, look down at it. My word, am I getting to the stage now where I need those cool glasses? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Listen, look at verse 22. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. How is the blood applied in Exodus 12? With hyssop. Hold on. What does Paul teach that we are made righteous by? Faith. What is hyssop in New Testament teaching? Faith. How is the blood applied today? By faith. Hold on. Yeah. I know. I know. I didn't come up with it. It's just the Bible. But thank you. Now, You've you got to get this. I'm about to do a T.D. Jakes. Get ready, get ready, get ready. I'm not, all right, I'm not listen. Listen. All right. What does Paul say? We believe, therefore we, we speak. So now we see the connection between faith and our testimony. Oh, I, 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 This isn't name it, claim it, word of faith. This is Bible teaching. All right. We see the connection between the faith in the heart and the declaration of our lips. Huh? Jesus said it like this. From the abundance of the, of the mouth. All right. How do I know what's in your heart? Just talk to you for a while. Find out when you're having a bad day and go hang out with you. Because that's when all the good stuff comes out. <laughs> really, find out. <laughs> oh. <sighs> all right. <laughs> I'm about to give it to you now. Find out when you're offended and go talk to you. Pick up a fence on you if I really want to know you and just go sit with you. Yeah. Find out when you're hurt and just go sit with you. I don't even need to go fix the problem. I'm just trying to know you. Find out when things didn't go your way or when you didn't get what you wanted. Now I have an opportunity to know you because character is tested when you're challenged. You want to watch people who have character? Study them in a season of challenge. See if their beliefs actually connect with this. And the way you'll know who they always were is by watching them in that offense. Because it's from the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. The heart is a greenhouse. And it just takes challenge to create an exit for that which is in the greenhouse to flow out. And this is the exit door right here. well, I just said that, but I didn't, I'm not, I know me. No, actually, you need to study what you said so that you can really know you and come to the priest so he can examine you. See, we don't understand the power of our confession. Confession is powerful. That's why we read the creeds here at every baptismal service. The creeds are read, and you feel the room start to change, don't you? When we say something like in 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 the uh, in in, in uh, well in any of the creeds, I, I mean gosh, I love the Nicene Creed. But when we read like a line like this about the Holy Spirit, "You are the Lord," the, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of Life. Something hits the room, huh? He will return, speaking of Jesus, to judge the quick and the dead. Something hits the room, yes or no, huh? Yes. We believe in one God. Something hits the room. We believe in the Father, the Almighty. Something hits the room because of our declaration. And Jesus actually connects, listen to this, the faithfulness of our declaration to our eternity. You've got to have your non-negotiables. You've got to know where those lines are. Now, they may be different for everyone. Like, you know, I've watched some hills people are willing to die on and I'm like, bro, that one's not that important. You know, like post-trib, pre-trib, I mean, people go at it over that. And I just watch and clap. Or on the charts from the book of Revelation. We love charts in America. I just love how someone actually thinks you can embody and encapsulate the entirety of this mysterious book that the fathers of the church even treaded lightly on when they taught it, but we have our charts. And we sell them. (laughs) And if you disagree with my chart, you are a heathen. (laughs) Okay, I won't die on those mountains, but you touch the lordship of Jesus, I'm dying on that mountain. You touch the deity of Jesus, I'm dying on that mountain. You touch on the Holy Spirit, whether or not he's God, I'm dying on that mountain. You touch the blood of Jesus, we will die on that mountain. Amen? You touch the cross, we die on that mountain. You touch the resurrection, we die on that mountain. You touch the scriptures, we die on that mountain. Those are our lines because we are believers and Jesus connects the faithfulness of our confession to our listen carefully our eternity. You say no he does he absolutely does. If you deny me before men I will deny you. Listen to this before the Father take a moment here before the Father and his holy angels. Have you ever seen an angel? You don't want to be denied in front of one. You don't want to be denied in front of the Father. You don't want to be denied, listen carefully, by the uncreated word himself at the throne as he looks at the Father and says, I don't know them. Actually, them is an inaccurate statement because you'll be there on your own. I don't know him. I don't know her. Father, they are a stranger to me. You don't want that. You see how when we preach too quickly or read our Bible too quickly, we don't we're not even slow enough or prayerful enough to see with the eyes of our heart what that verse actually means. That one day in glory, standing on a sea of glass, mingled with fire. That's the flooring of the throne room. A sea. That's a big floor. Mingled with, with glass and fire in the presence of the one who, if you behold, you can die. And here's Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, not because he's lesser than. Here's Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, looks at his father, who he loves with all his heart, and says, I don't know him. It's a sobering thought. Then on the flip side, the Lord says, If you confess me, not think about me, are you hearing me? He doesn't say, If you just think kindly of me before men, if you know your own heart before men. No, because Jesus understands. He instituted the truth, He embodies this. He knows it's from my heart that the mouth speaks. So if Jesus is saying, you will know a tree by its fruit, for from the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. He's telling us how to know each other. Why would he do that? Because he embodies it. He never instructs us in an area that he doesn't embody. He is that. He speaks truth because he is truth. So he's true. So Jesus says, If you confess me before men... I will confess you or acknowledge you before the Father. That one looks a little different. That's Jesus going, Father, meet Jessica. She has an amazing husband. We'll get to him later. He's already in, Lord. You already let him in. He got in eight spots before her. He's back on that golf course we built for him near the throne that looks somewhat like Augusta National. If there are any members from Augusta and you'd like to host me for the day, I'd love to come pray for you down, down the green pastures and lead me beside the still waters on 13th hole and I'll shepherd you right on through, right on through. But no, really, Jesus looks at the Father and says, this is Jessica. I want to acknowledge her. She acknowledged me with her mouth. Now I want to acknowledge her with my mouth. Imagine the voice that sounds like many waters saying, this is Jessica, Father. Confession is powerful. Don't you lose your confession. And you know how you lose your confession? By losing your heart. They're eternally tied to each other. We love your presence, Lord. So here we see, let's go back to Leviticus. I'll I'll be done in a moment. Are you enjoying this? Here we see that hyssop. Oh, this is about to get so good. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Speaking of the cleansing capability of Calvary. What came forth from the Lord's side? Water and blood. What do we see initiated here in the Levitical code? Water and blood. What washes us today? The scriptures. That's what the scriptures teach, that the word washes us. Calls it the washing of the word. Let's keep reading. As for the living bird, listen carefully, he shall take it, he being the priest, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them and the living bird into the blood of the bird that was killed. Now we see this holy, wonderful, explosive combination when it comes to rescuing the souls of men. Listen, the cross in the cedar wood, the blood of Jesus in the scarlet yarn, speaking of his suffering. The hyssop is the power of simple faith. You're putting all these together now and dipping, dipping that living bird into that. Listen to this now. And he, the priest, shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed. How many times did Jesus shed blood? Pastor Benny's talked about this. How many times does the scriptures really recount? Seven. Luke 22, verse 44, he, he bleeds from his sweat in the garden of Gethsemane. Isn't this wonderful that Jesus fulfills this Levitical code? Number two, he bleeds from his face. He's marred beyond recognition. That's Isaiah 56. I gave my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. In other words, He was brutalized in the face to the degree that his beard was plucked out and he was disfigured more than any man. He was marred beyond recognition that we would be recognizable at the throne. He bled from his face. Number three, he bled from his hands. Yes or no? Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked is all around me. They pierced my hands. Number four, he bled from his feet. Psalm 22, 16, they pierced my feet. This is awesome. Number five, they pierced his side and the church was birthed. Just like Eve came from, the Lord's, uh, from Adam's side, so did the Eve of the last Adam, the, the wife of the last Adam. So was, was she birthed. That's us from the side of Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's John 19, 34. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and running water came out. Just read it to you in Leviticus 14. Gosh, I'd like to form tackle somebody right now. I have problems. This is one of them. Lastly, he bled from his head. Matthew 27, verse 29 and 30. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spat on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. He bleeds seven times, just as the blood is to be sprinkled, seven times on the leper. And how many of you know The bleeding of Jesus has been sprinkled upon us, those who were once lepers. Oh, man. There's just one more thing I want to say. I don't know if I should say it because it may, may require more, more time. Next, well. I'm going to say it. And then you can just go chew it up. All right, go home and just dig into the scriptures yourself. Help me there, Joel, just real lightly. So, here's Jesus, the priest. Remember, he's offering and priest because he's all in all. So, he bleeds, leaves the camp of Israel, dies outside the gate, carrying across the cedar wood, bleeding as the wounded one, suffering as embodied, or I should say as typified in, in the red scarlet. And he is the source of our faith, embodied as the hyssop. And he leaves the camp. When the priest would take that dove, the living dove, and the dove or the bird would fly away. Remember, it would fly away, covered In water and blood. I want you to get the picture here. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. Imagine this little bird being released. It's drenched in blood and water. And as it moves, it releases and sprinkles the camp or those outside the camp with blood and water. This is the work of the Lord. This is what the Holy Spirit does today. Because Jesus goes outside the camp and eventually that bird flies outside the camp. Jesus calls his disciples to the world and to preach the gospel so that the Holy Spirit might sprinkle us with blood and cleanse us with his word. Isn't this just wonderful? Are you grateful for the blood of Jesus this morning? I want to leave you with this regarding our confession and the belief of our heart in the blood. I read this last week, Revelation chapter 12. They overcame, listen carefully, don't miss this, do not miss this with nobody moving. The accuser of the brethren is working overtime right now against the church. It's just what he does More than ever, we need our testimony to connect with the blood. Again, I'm giving you scripture. I don't want you to pick up some tradition from me that's not in the scriptures. But Revelation 12 teaches us that they overcame the accuser by the blood of the lamb. Now here's the connection. And the word of our testimony. Hallelujah. Accusation against your life is destroyed by your testimony of the blood. And that's why Paul writes, Shall depth, shall height, shall width, shall power, shall principalities. In other words, if every angel, fallen and righteous, if every saint, if every person who went to hell, every person who is in heaven, every elder, if each one of them stood before the throne and declared you guilty, After you've been washed by the blood, God wouldn't listen to a single syllable. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The blood destroys the accusation of the accuser when we connect the blood to our testimony. And may we have no other testimony than Christ has overcome, that he bled and died and he is alive today. Amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can like and subscribe. To help us continue to reach people around the world with the gospel, give today at jesusimage.tv forward slash give. You can also join us in person or online every Sunday at Jesus Image Church. For more information on Jesus Image events, Jesus School, and resources, visit jesusimage.tv.